Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. I want to talk about three things here today. I want to talk about understanding Eden, free will, and the nature of rebellion. It's so important that we understand that Eden is not just this story that kind of kicks things off, but there is so much to unpack, to see in, in, in not only uh, God's desire for family, mission, identity, but also just like the nature of rebellion and how free will plays into us as imagers of God. So let's, let's pray, and I'm just gonna unpack these three things, and then remember, all of the extra content is on the podcast. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. We thank you that your word will not return void. Lord, we thank you that uh, your word is life, that your word, um, Lord, it gives us substance. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Jesus was the word that was made flesh, and we thank you that your word is coming to us right now to equip and transform us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, understanding Eden. If we don't understand Eden, it is so hard to understand our identity and our purpose. And so what we see in Eden, when God created Eden, remember, this was, this was God's sacred space. And what we're gonna learn in these future lessons, and when we see these lesser gods, these fallen angels and how they entice mankind to worship them, man is never allowed in their sacred space. Did you know that Yahweh, our God, he, 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 our, our creator God, and of course God created all of the, the, the lesser gods and, and the angels, those that fell, those that didn't fell. It's very important to understand that in biblical monotheism. Biblical monotheism is not that, okay, there's only one divine being and that's God. No, biblical monotheism is there is only one supreme divine being, separate from all, the creator of them all, all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, everywhere there is one creator. Above all, he is the most high. But there are, yeah, but there are these, these, these lesser beings, these, we, we would call them, you know, angels, fallen angels, that he created. However, when we read scripture and we see those, you know, like in the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God wasn't up there saying, now you shall have no other gods before me. You know, wink, wink, but there really aren't any other gods. I'm just, you know, saying that. That would be like you know, all the songs that we sing, the most high God and Lord, you're the God above all gods. Like if, if so, if, if none of that is true, well then that, we're, it's fantasy. We might as well say, oh Lord, you're greater than the leprechauns. Lord, you're greater than Batman. You see what I'm saying? Listen, the people of the ancient Near East were not these ignorant, we don't know what's, uh, <laughs> humans are humans. Do you see what I'm saying? And God's not out there projecting some type of false narrative, some type of make-believe something, 
because he needs worship. He doesn't need worship. He doesn't need a family. He doesn't need any of this. He is God. He allows us to partner with him. He allows us to worship him. He allows us. And his idea was, look, the people of God in the place of God with the presence of God, that's Eden. That's Eden. That's his desire. That's his plan A. And guess what? He's going to have it one day. He's going to have a new Eden where the people of God, us, are in the place of God with the presence of God. And we're going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. The original intent will once again be established, but we have a part to play in the reversal of chaos, in the reversal of what the Bible calls uh, Babel, Babylon, all of the, the times that's referenced. Yes, there's a literal interpretation, but Babylon, that is a metaphor for chaos. When you see Babel or Babylon in the Bible, there's always a deeper meaning of chaos. Satan and his forces introduce chaos into the world. They're trying, that chaos fragments, it breaks, it destroys. That's why the word shalom, what does it mean? Put back together, restore wholeness. We were singing, a, a, a praising God, what, that he's the God of peace. Come on, he's the God of shalom. He will restore you. He'll put the broken pieces of your life back together. He will reverse the chaos. Come on. So there's, you can think of there's Eden. This was God's place. This was God's home where he dwelt with man. Now watch. It was also the heaven and earth uh, the, the connect, the navel, the, what's the Hebrew word? The, the, it's the connection. In other words, these beings, these heavenly hosts, the, the, it was in Eden where there was this back and forth. That was the connecting place of heaven and earth. And God commissioned man, hey, look, go out into the earth, subdue, take dominion. It's important to understand that all of the earth was not like Eden. Eden was just this small place. It was God's home with his heavenly and spiritual family in the earth realm. But he commissioned us, the humans, to rule and reign and exercise authority over the earth and take that Eden and establish a global Eden. That's what we're gonna be doing when Jesus returns. And in the new millennium, in the age to come, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be partnering with him to establish God's global Eden once again. Everything that you're doing in your life right now is not your destiny, it's your training. Your destiny is in the life to come. You don't, okay, I know I'm making a play on words here, but, but you don't have a destiny in this life. You have assignments. We don't rule in this life, we steward. If we steward well, we'll rule and reign in the next life. Follow me. Everything that we're doing is assignment. So if you're like, oh, my life stinks, that's all right. Just a quick job, just a quick assignment. Don't worry, one day you'll be resurrected, glorified, just like Jesus. And maybe, maybe in the millennium, God's gonna have you deal with some difficult people. You're gonna be like, I got all the training I needed right down here on earth. Yeah, so think of Eden, watch. That's God's sacred space. 
And there's just a whole lot I could say about that. How we, how we model Eden. That's why Shabbat, that's why you're home. Where's, where's your little Eden that you can model? Your little sacred space with God and, and your friends or, or, or your family. So there's, there's Eden. And then you can think of there's, there's also Babel, the anti-Eden. Okay, that's what, when, when it talks about, you know, the world system, the, the Babel system, it, it's the anti-Eden. And so what we're gonna see here, or really the foundational, there's kind of two foundationals, two sides of the same coin, of the anti-Eden, of the nature of rebellion, and of this chaos that God's called us to partner with him and reverse, okay? So here's the awesome thing. With God's heavenly family and his earthly family, he called us and commissioned us to image him. Genesis 1:26. He says, "Let us make humankind in our image after our likeness." Spiritual beings and humans are imagers of God. That means God's original intent was that we share in his authority and also represent him as co-rulers. This is very, very important to understand our mission and our identity is not only a child of God, but also as an imager of God. And so to image God in a functional way, imaging is not just the attributes of God. Yes, we're, we're created in his likeness, we're sentient, intelligent, emotional, uh, all, all those kind of things. But imaging is functional. So this brings us to our second thing, and that is free will. Everybody say free will. I think this is gonna be up on the screen, okay? If man does not have free will, then he is not created in the image of God. If man does not have free will, then he is not created in the image of God. Let me tell you how awesome our creator is. God created the, 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 the heavenly family, you know, the, the angels, the other, the, the lesser gods, those beings, he created them, he created the humans, and he gave us one of his most powerful and essential attributes, and that is the freedom and the power to choose. We can never, ever be anything like God without the freedom and the free will to choose good over evil. God is not a good robot. God chooses good because he is good. He chooses love because he is love. He chooses justice because he is justice. And if you don't think God has the ability of cho to choose, you'll never understand things like why would Satan tempt Jesus in the wilderness and say, listen, you join our team, I'll give you, I, we've, 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 we've we're, 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 we formed a coalition now. I, I've got all the kingdoms of this world. I know why you're here. Here's a shortcut. I'll give them to you right now. Listen, without the beautiful, precious gift of free will, we can't be free to image God. When God gave man free will, he gave him dignity. He gave us value. He, he gave us worth 
self-worth. I, I remember one of the most powerful things that I could never fool, I can't describe it with human words, but in my encounter with Jesus, you know, it was about a year and a half ago now, one of the things I had never experienced in my 20, well, I guess it's 30, you know, 30 years of walking with God. When, in that encounter with the Lord, he treated me as an equal. Now, I'm not his equal. <laughs> He's king. He's God. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm far below, but he treated me that way. He felt like a brother. It was like a big brother. He's the firstborn of many brethren. I'd always only related to Jesus as, you know, he's king, he's God, I'm the servant, and, and all of that is true, and I still do, and we all still should to some degree, but there's also this other component about the awesomeness of God, the, the, the indescribable love and, and, and power of this being where he treats lowly man like an equal. He gives us dignity and he invites us to participate with him. That's why you see these stories in the Bible of, of both his, his divine counsel in the heavenly realm and in the, uh, the earthly realm with the humans. He, he brings us in and he, well, what do you think? What would you do? God knows what to do. God knows what to think. He's already thought it. And he knows what you're gonna say. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying? He created us in a way that we can engage and partner with him. And the relational component of this communicating back and forth and understand that, that God wants family. He doesn't need it. He wants it. He wants family. He invites us into his family. It's, it's a family. It's a family business. It's a kingdom. Right now we're at war. He's commissioned us to, to get the rest of his kids and bring them back into the family. Yeah. And he gives us this beautiful gift of free will. So watch this. When God gave both the humans and the heavenly family free will, he knew, he knew that it could have disastrous and horrific results if misused. In fact, why does God allow, I'm gonna put this on the board, and you can border. We're in a chalkboard, but put it on the screen. Look, why does God allow so much evil to go on? Okay, remember this. Free will in the hands of imperfect beings whether divine or human, can have disastrous results. This is the dark side of this gift that is essential for us to be able to functionally image God, represent who he is, and also be created in his likeness. So, Here's the answer to that question, the scriptural answer to that question. God wanted a family. He wanted a family that, would, that could be like him, that could freely choose, 
that could freely love, that could image, that could rule. And so he chose to create both the heavenly beings and the earthly beings with free will because he wanted a family. God's alternative was to not create humans at all. His alternative was to not create heavenly beings at all. At least humans or heavenly beings that could actually engage him and be like him. So God's decision was, I would rather have a family with humans and divine beings for that matter. I would rather have a family with humans and know that for a short season in the earth, there will be terrible evil and chaos. I would rather have a family with the humans than have no humans at all. That's, so when someone says, well, if God's so good, why does he allow evil in the world? The answer is because God loves you so much. He would rather you be here than you not be here at all. But you know what? He hasn't left us in this chaos and destruction. He actually knew it was gonna happen. We brought it on ourselves. But guess what? He's enacted a plan of redemption. He had it all set in the garden. Come on, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Guess what? It's still right back to your free will. You have a choice. Today is the day of salvation. You can choose. Well, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Indecision is a decision. Whether you realize it or not, you are loyal to these other gods. You're loyal to the Babel system. You're loyal to the system of this world. You're loyal to the kingdom of this world. And guess what? Jesus is gonna come back and he is gonna, his kingdom is gonna come. And that kingdom is gonna be wiped from the face of the earth. That's why, watch. God says, come out of her, my people, so that you don't share in her sins. He's talking about a system. This is a battle of kingdoms. A lot of times we think of Jesus, Jesus' mission, it's like his, his whole purpose on the cross was, okay, Jesus died for me and my sin was placed upon him and he died for me so that now I could be forgiven of my sin and I could escape and go to heaven one day and I could, he, he's gonna give me his word. I have a sin management program. I've got my what would Jesus bracelet do that I encourage you to wear, especially when you're watching the Jags and when you're tempted to cuss or holler at the left. I know what y'all do. What you need to do is you need to find some, some different words instead of those cuss words. And a bad play happens and you're like, Jiminy Crickets. Mm, milkshake is one of my favorite desserts. Fist bump your neighbor and say, have a milkshake. 
Or maybe one day, y'all could be like me. And when you watch your favorite team, like I watched LSU last night, When I watch my favorite team, I'm under control. (laughs) Then my wife comes in the room. She's like, what is all this yelling? Why are the pillows, why are they in the pool? Did somebody throw the, the couch pillows in the pool? What? Left the door open. There were some late winds from the storm that passed through. I... So the great thing is, yes, God gave us freedom to sin, but guess what? He gave us the freedom to repent, to say yes to him. And if you think about the, the, the reward, so, so what goes with that, there's this horrific evil now. It will end. Remember, that's why judgment and justice, listen to me, listen to me, young people, judgment and justice are good things. They're not bad things. <laughs> God is a God of justice. Mercy and judgment are two sides of the same coin. Now, we don't want people to be judged, but we understand unless judgment and justice finally come, if that doesn't come, oppression will never end. Murder will never end. Racism will never end. All of the, 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 the evil will never end without judgment. And kind of back to what I was saying, <laughs> We look at Jesus, okay, like that's for my personal escape and all, all that. Well, yes, that's, that's part of it, but that's not the whole story. That's a dot. That's a, that's a part of the story. This is what God did to redeem mankind so that we could come back in the family. What the bigger picture of the story is about is the reversal of these global and cosmic rebellions, the Lord not only died for your sin and my sin, guess what? He conquered evil. He conquered death in the grave. He took back, he disarmed the principalities and powers. I'm telling you, Jesus took on, took on Satan. He took on evil. He took on all the chaos. He took it head on. And his death on the cross not only provided atonement for us, it gave Jesus, it gave the legal right back to Jesus, to us, for the domain of the earth realm. This is what I'm trying to say. This is a battle of kingdoms. This is not a game. This is not a backstory to our personal sin management program so we can escape to heaven. Yes, us being saved and born again, that's part of it. It's a bigger story. It's cosmic. It's universal. It's about the whole world. And at the end of the day, it's about whose kingdom is going to be finally be established in the earth. And I'm telling you, it's going to be the kingdom of our Messiah. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, I'm getting off, but I'm still gonna finish. That's why when Jesus came, look, when he came on the scene, that's why he didn't come and say, hey, raise your hand and make a decision because I'm here and I've got your sin management program right now. He said, what, repent because what? 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a new king. He's the only rightful king. He's a king that loves you and that wants to save you and wants to bring you into his family and bring you into his kingdom. That's why it's the gospel of the kingdom. That's why I do when you know when you go and you preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom implies the, the entire story of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Messiah to all peoples. Remember, when we, when we think of things like, well, Jesus saved us from God's wrath. Okay, watch. Yes, but Jesus is God. Do you know who's bringing the wrath of God? Jesus. Do you know who is the wrath of God when he returns? Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. You can read in Revelation, he who was, is, and is to come. The Almighty. Like God in the Old Testament, he's all mean and whatever, giving everybody commandments and rules and fire coming down from heaven. Do you know? which person in the Godhead was doing those things? Jesus, the Son. There's no fragmentation in God. There's no shadow of turning. There is no injustice. He is love, he is God, he is one God, he is three persons. The Son is the King. He is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead and to reward every man, woman, and child according to their works. And the awesome thing is, we have the blood of Jesus. Yeah. So we get under the blood when he judges us for our works. He's judging us for our actual what? Our works. Well, Stovall, why works? I thought we were saved by grace. Of course you're saved by grace. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what are we reversing? Chaos. Do you know what good works are? I could unpack a whole lesson on this. You know, it's works, the Jewish word, that mitzvah. I know the Messianics are going to say I'm butchering these words, but they don't even tell me the right pronunciation. I'm going to enact the Goshen principle. Let's be nice to the Gentiles and tell them how this stuff sounds. But listen, you know what a good work is? Here's the picture. The world is broken in pieces. When you do a good work, you're taking one little piece and you're shaloming it. You're putting it back in order. You see? Shalom is not a feeling. What? Husband and wives. Some of you need to shalom. You have relationships. You need shalom. You need to shalom it. You need to put those pieces back in order. That's how we image God. We represent him and we demonstrate in a broken, fragmented world God's intent to put those pieces back together and reverse the chaos. Come on, can you give him a clap for that? Okay. 
here we go. I've got, I've got uh, 10 minutes. You ready? Let's look, Genesis 3, one through five. The, the last two were, I've kind of talked about them, but I need to talk about this. Look, now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, so here's where free will went wrong, okay? He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, watch this, your eyes will be opened and you, you will be like God, watch the specific attribute. You will be like God, you'll know good and evil. So let me unpack this picture in the garden. First of all, you can take that, take that down. Let me unpack this picture in the garden. First of all, remember, this is before any rebellion. You want me to show you this? We, Satan was obviously in a state of rebellion, but he's the first rebel. The whole story of, you know, Satan led a third of the angels and all that, and they had already rebelled at this part, at this scene. It's just not scriptural. Want me to show it to you? Let me, real quick. Look right here, Genesis 12, seven through, I'm sorry, Genesis, Revelation 12, seven through nine, look. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But look, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, did you see the serpent there? Okay, the serpent in the garden was not just a snake. This is ancient, the ancient Near East narrative. When, the, when an animal's talking, they understand the supernatural is in play here. You follow me? They know animals don't talk, just like we do. Some of y'all think your dog talks to you. He doesn't. <laughs> Time for a little therapy. But anyway... Look, so there's the serpent who's called the devil and Satan. Look, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him, okay? Watch this, okay? This is, let's go to context. Let's go a couple of verses up and look at Revelation 12, four and five. It says, look, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Remember that word stars. Remember, stars are images and symbols of what? The heavenly host, so that's why when you see these things about the stars will fall, at, the, at, the, at the end times, the stars will fall from the sky. It's not talking about the literal, this is talking about fallen heavenly beings. They're called, sometimes they're called morning stars. Some of the, 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 the it's, it's, it's right here again. The stars fell. These are images and symbols of these heavenly beings. Now look what it says. It says, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, watch this, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a, uh, with a rod of iron. 
Who is that? It's Jesus. He's described over and over again in scripture. He's gonna rule the nations with a rod of iron. So she's gonna give birth to this male child who's gonna rule the nations with a rod of iron. But look at this. But her child was called up to God and his throne. What is this talking about? And this is what Satan can understand from the cosmos, from the signs, from the times. Okay, just like when Moses came on the scene, what did the gods of Egypt do? They got Pharaoh to what? Start killing all the Hebrew male babies. What happened when Jesus, remember what Herod did? Started killing all of the Hebrew male children under two years old. This is talking about the birth of Jesus and you're gonna understand this as we go over these things the next couple of weeks. So when Satan, this, this is what I call the coalition. In other words, you're gonna see these rebellions. You're gonna see these spiritual forces of wickedness, these rulers, principalities, powers that Paul talks about, all of that. Until this time, they, yes, was, did, was Satan the most powerful? Was ultimately all authority tied back to him? Yes, why? Because he is the one, he was the first rebel and he is the one who enticed Adam and Eve to sin. So he owns death. He's Lord of the dead. That means he owns the souls. He owns the humans that are in death. Do you see what I'm saying? So eventually they would have to really come under his authority, but you have to think like the heavenly realm, like you do the earthly realm. The, the, the spiritual forces of wickedness, especially way before the, birth, before the birth of Jesus, they function more as like the mob. They, there's different coalitions and factions and, and, and we'll get into some of these things. You can see this in culture. You can study ancient Near East history. I mean, you can watch all kinds of programs on the History Channel that talk about the different gods and how they got reinvented here and why people worshiped them here. And then when these went to war, it was much more like the mob. But just like the mob, guess what? They can have all their family wars, but when the FBI comes in with a full force, what? Those mob, okay, we gotta get together. This is what's happening here. When Jesus was coming on the scene, Satan was like, that's it. We've got to form the coalition. We've got to unify. We cannot be divided. This is it. What is Satan and the principalities and powers? What is their end game? Delay. They know Jesus is going to return. They lost it on the cross. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? What do you think they're doing? Do you think they're trying to, you know, they're giving people flat tires and and get people mad. And they, got, they got a little bit bigger strategy than that. We'll talk about what, what demons do in the next week. They have a bigger strategy than that. Their end game is to stay here as long as possible. And guess what that is directly connected to? The church as the body of Jesus becoming the bride of Christ, getting out of all of our individualistic escapism theology and realize that we are the family of God and we are gonna demonstrate who God is and what the Great Commission is all about. 
And you know what it's all about? It's all about the same stuff that Eden was about. It's about family. It's about the people of God and the place of God and the presence of God. And until the church, until we, I could, I could, I could show you half of the New Testament speaking to this. Coming in the unity of the faith. The Lord coming to church without, uh, coming for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He's not talking about mistakes. This is, he's talking about us as a people functioning as one, not fragmenting anymore. Well, how are we gonna do that? Well, the first thing that we're gonna do, we're gonna realize who we are and what our mission is and who our real enemy is. And it's not, it's not this political party or that political party or my neighbor. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness. He wants to distract us as long as possible to focus on us and fragment so that the real picture is hidden. But thank God we are coming into these, as Peter says, these last days where there is an apocalypse. What does the apocalypse mean? It's the unveiling. God's gonna show us what is really at stake. He's gonna give people clear choices about who they are serving. I can tell you this, and the conversation is already going there in science, and you can read it for yourself. The day is coming once again, just like it was in the days of Jesus and in the ancient Near East. The question is not gonna be, is God real? It's gonna be, which God is the most powerful? Who's God? They never debated, is God real? It was, which God is the most powerful? Which God can really help me? Okay, I'm finishing. Watch this. When Eve had this encounter with the serpent, Hebrew Nakash, means the shining one, the enlightened one, the shining one. When she had this encounter, I want you to remember this. This conversation, a conversation like this with a heavenly being would have been very normal. This isn't like there's only, you know, just them and the, her and Adam and the officer, wait, whoa. No conversation with a heavenly being or anything like that. And whoa, whoa, here's this, here's this snake, this serpentine, shining one. And you know, it's not how you're doing, what's going on. It's like, uh, hey, God tell you not to eat this tree. Think how we behave as humans. Of course, in a perfect state, in the heaven and earth connection, a conversation with a being. Now, don't you do that. Don't you try to talk to some angel. The Yahweh forbids that. He forbids it. You know, well, you know why? Because you can get deceived. He doesn't forbid it because it doesn't work. He forbids it because it does work. And you can get deceived. Yahweh is strict. When I say, remember, Jesus is Yahweh, okay? The Lord, Yahweh is the Lord. It's like me saying the Lord forbids it. Yahweh is the Lord's divine name, okay? He forbids it. Our only source of communication is through him. It's through God in the name of Jesus. So if you feel like you need some angelic help, you tell Jesus, okay? You tell the Father in the name of Jesus, 
Don't be looking around. Be like, what y'all doing up there? Y'all need to come help me. Somebody take care of one of y'all angels. Take care of this crazy man over here. So remember this. This would have been a very normal. We, we think like, you know, Eve's like, oh, I don't know. No. She's the mother of all the living. They're co-rulers. Satan knew he had, man, he had to get it. He, he had to get it her. So this is, would be a, a normal conversation. But all of a sudden, deception has entered in. Okay, and this is the last thing that I want to say and why it matters. And that's this. It's the nature of rebellion. It's a great place to, there's two things about the nature of rebellion and we see it in the garden. It's what Satan tempted them with. Knowledge of good and evil. First thing is, the nature of rebellion is to define good and evil on our own terms, not God's. That's what Babel was all about. That's what the garden, oh, okay, I can, good and evil, I can do that. To this day, man is still on his quest, inspired by these forces of evil, to continue to redefine what good and evil is according to his terms and his benefit. And I'm telling you, they are, the humans are directly inspired to do that by the spiritual forces of wickedness because they're leading us to a narrative of destruction. That's why it's so important as a minister of the word of God. I don't have the authority or the right to redefine good and evil or leave out what the Bible says is good and evil just because it's uncomfortable or not popular. I don't have that authority. If I do that, if I leave, if I, if I dismiss or, or, or hide things in the Word of God because they're not popular or because Scripture defines good and evil differently than a lot of the ways that the world defines good and evil, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking that apple just like Eve. Saying, yeah, I know better. Gotta protect God's image here. I'll just define good and evil. The world's redefining good and evil on a daily basis. That's why we gotta know the truth because only the truth can set us free. And here's the other thing. And I am closing with this. It's 1024. And the jet, well, the Jags aren't till one, huh? Okay. Watch this. Last thing. Defining what good and evil is on your own terms, not God. The second thing is our desire to rule on our own terms and not be stewards. Man and the angels get in trouble when they rule. We want to rule. We want to take authority that was given to us by God. We want to take that authority, take that blessing, the intelligence he gave us, the gifts he gave us, the abilities. We want to take that and we want to use that to rule as we see fit instead of what? Being stewards of what God has given us. 
That's why all the parables in the Bible, we're gonna get into them in a few weeks. When it talks about readiness, all those parables are what? The master gives these people this and that and the other thing, then he goes away, right? And then he comes back and he says, okay, give me an account. How did you steward what I blessed you, blessed you with? If we steward in this life, we'll be able to rule and reign in the next life. But we do not have the authority and we are, we are compliant with chaos and rebellion. When we redefine good and evil according to our own terms and not scripture, and when we choose to rule on our own terms instead of stewarding what God has given us. But watch, if we will know the truth, if we will engage the truth, if we will speak the truth in love and demonstrate the love of God, if we'll be stewards and not rulers, guess what? The kingdom of God is coming, but it's right here and now. And you know what? We can be the people of God in the place of God with the presence of God. And you can experience the power and favor of Eden in your own life, in your own business. You can image, you can represent, you can have eternal reward. You can be used by God to demonstrate His kingdom. Because listen to me, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And this world is gonna keep being shaken and keep being shaken and keep being shaken but our God reigns and those in the kingdom of God will not be shaken, they'll never be shaken and we will be with Him forever and ever and ever. Father, we just come to You right now. Come on, give Him some praise. Give Him some praise in this house. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org. 